There, there's one person I know that doesn't believe in God who's been coming to our programs for years, and they say that they, they believe in goodness. They don't believe in God, but they believe in goodness. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper? This yellow fluffo is such a short shortening. Hi, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world. They're not just striving, but thriving. Experienced, smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, class, stop typing, please. All right, class, stop typing, please. This week, I talked to one of these women, Rita Cleary, who's worked with MIT Organizational Learning Center, is a motivational speaker, author, yoga practitioner, and meditation teacher, and is a Brahma Kumari, and she joins me now. Hi, Rita. Hi, Susan. So, so many things to talk to you about. So, um, what does it mean to be a Brahma Kumari? Well, what it means to be a Brahma Kumari is to, uh, you know, really be committed to a, a spiritual practice uh, while you're living in the world, while you're living, you know, in your households and um, and and still living a life of, you know, creating and developing more of a spiritual worldview uh, that we live by. And, and what does your what does a, a daily practice look like? So our first meditation starts at four o'clock in the morning, and we oh um, my goodness, yes, I know it took years, <laughs> you know, to conquer that, <laughs> conquer the sleep. But you know, we we're up by four at the latest, actually sometimes earlier, and uh, you know, meditating for about an hour, and then. Um, uh, meditating once more about 6.30 or so in the morning and then going on to a, a class where we study spiritual knowledge. And then, you know, the whole the whole practice um, goes on throughout the day in various ways, stopping um, on an hourly basis, which we call traffic control, checking the traffic of our mind. But the, but the basis is trying to really, you know, change what's going on in the inner world so that we're not caught up in old habits and old ways of thinking and, and breaking through to a new paradigm where we can stay peaceful, loving, and happy in life. Gosh, I mean, incredible discipline required. Well, yeah, there is a lot of discipline if you if you if you think of it in one way, but if you think of it in another way, it really is like um, I, I mean, it's no different than going for your physical exercise. You know, a lot of people have very disciplined practices. I mean, look at the Olympics, what they do. You know, in the Olympics, not that we're all trying to be Olympians, <laughs> but <laughs> but. Uh, but but there's so much benefit that comes from a scheduled you know a regular practice. Uh, that that's how you gain the inner power. You know to be able to become. It's, it's sort of like taking back your own sovereignty. You know being able to rule the self, rule the mind. So it's it's uh, really proved very beneficial in my life. And how long have you been a Brahma Kumari for? Uh, I came in. I was. Uh, let's see. It's been about 30, 30, 32, 33 years at this point in time. And, and how, um, for those people who haven't heard of the Brahma Kumaris, how did they start and what, what do they represent? What's their vision? Yeah, so, so the Brahma Kumaris uh, are from, it's an organization uh, that's headquarters are based in India. And there are uh, about 9,000 meditation centers around the world. What's amazing about it is that it was, um, it's been run by women for years, you know, uh, incredible women for years. Uh, but there's just about, uh, 
there's a, many men who participate, but it's the women who are in the, the leadership positions. Uh, they started, uh, actually, there was a gentleman who, um, who began to have visions uh, about uh, a new world, a world of peace, a world of happiness. And uh, there was a whole body of knowledge that was actually came um, through the, through this this gentleman, and his uh, and he he was an ordinary person. He ran a business. He was a diamond merchant, and he uh, transformed his life and uh, became like a conduit to share that message uh, with everyone. And it has grown over the years to um, I think there's over a million uh, Brahma Kumaris, Kumaris and Kumaris who are living around the world. Good heavens, that's a huge organization. It, it is huge, you know, and one of the things that attracted me to it was uh, I, I couldn't understand how in the world they did what they did because there was no one in the organization that got paid and there was no one, um, you know, in the organization that had to sign anything on a dotted line or anything like that. It was just, uh, it, it was, there was an attraction of this um, spiritual love uh, that was that was shared by these women uh, that I had the privilege of knowing in my life, Dadi Prakashmani, uh, Dadi Jenki, uh, and they uh, they they walked what they had learned. You know, they they lived together in India for for fourteen years as a small community, and then they they were young girls at the time, and then these women were sent out to to all parts of India, and then eventually to all parts of the world in order to just share the message. So, so what were some of the questions you were looking for answers for? Well, I wanted to know, I, I, I kept, you know, I think the biggest question that I had was, how could um, a world that we all come into, you know, we're living in, be so, so um, sorrowful and so, so much pain, so much sorrow, so much unfairness, so much corruption, I, even as a little girl, I, I just, I couldn't understand why so many people were so unhappy. And, uh, and I, I always had this feeling that there was a source or there was a, for me, it was a God that would, that existed. But as I grew, as I was growing up, uh, in the, I grew up Catholic and then I, I studied Judaism and almost converted. And then I went to Buddhism and then I went to Confucianism, met with a master, stayed in Hong Kong for a while with this master to learn and so forth. Uh, I was just seeking answers to the larger questions. Who am I? Who is God? Is there a God? You know, if so, what's my relationship with God? And, and how does this human family of mankind, you know, what is it that we need to know that would help us to make sense of the world? So it, it sounds like, from what you're saying, this daily routine, it's almost like nun-like. Uh, would, would you say that was the case? Well, um, nun-like. <laughs> well, none of this and none of that. Uh, well, interesting. You, you know, uh, I think it's completely, it, it, it's disciplined, you know, and it's... Um, it's throughout the day. It's from morning till night, but but and it's it has to do with eating a vegetarian diet and purifying the soul. You know, pure just it's a whole matter of of um, discipline, like the nuns. But but we're really in the world. 
you know, so we're in our work, we're in our families, we're doing many different things, but we're also sharing the message that was shared, just as the message was shared with us about, you know, this practice and study, we share it with others. So we do a lot, a lot of service. And one of the things that I've been, had the fortune to be involved with is actually serving those who are serving the rest of the world. So who serves the servers that are out there trying to really help those who are working on sustainability, those who are looking and seeking to bring spirituality into their work places. You know, who does that? Well, we do that. Uh, there seems recently, Rita, to be a real interest in meditation. There's lots of apps now. There's huge popularity of headspace and I think mindfulness and there's, there's all sorts of things. Why do you think society now seems to be needing meditation far more than it ever needed it before? Maybe it's always needed it, but it's only aware of it now. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the things I want to say, you know, is, is that, uh, the, the type of yoga that's taught here is called Raja yoga and it's not mindful, uh, meditation. It's soulful. It's learning about the soul, you know, is, is the bottom line that's taught here. But I think the reason that it's, that what's happening now, because there is, there's a lot of people who are looking for it, particularly after the pandemic. Uh, you know, taking us out of the world and taking us into those private spaces that, you know, we're all Zoom in Zoom land these days, right? But we're also having the chance to go inward and to really, uh, really notice what's happening to the, to, to the, uh, to our inner, from our inner world state. And I think the fear has really built at not just physical, uh, the physical level of fear, but also subtle levels of it. And in order to be able to stay steady and uh, stable in the face of the changes that we're facing with the sustainability, you know, with what's happening with the political scene, the polarization in, in politics, uh, so many different areas, you know, that people, people see that there's something different. There's something that has changed dramatically over the last uh, number of years. And we see it continuing to change, you know, uh, and, and there's something, it's almost as if there's a, a pull it's like time is calling us to awaken to that deeper aspect of life itself, which is our spiritual life. And, and for us, you know, what we say is that there's a, this whole new um, understanding that you can that you can get through the study, which is about a travel through time. Uh, like a macro cycle of time, like, you know, the nature has its seasons. It says humanity also goes through its seasons and that we're standing at the cusp of, of a shift in consciousness where we've been, you know, very much in the material world, that people are interested in finding more and finding the bigger answers. They say that the soul is a point of light that contains not just the mind, but the intellect, and also the imprints of everything that has happened to you, you know, since you came into this birth, uh, that it's all recorded in this, this infinitesimal point of light that resides in the center of the forehead, which they say is the soul. And they also say that there is a supreme soul who remains in an original state of purity that you can, through your mind, connect to. So we're human beings, you know, but we also have this spiritual identity that we have uh, forgotten. And so it's a, it's a practice to help you remember 
the true self of who you really are and to help you make the shifts inside yourself to get out of the anger, to get out of the, the hatred and the, the, the disappointment of life and to get into a space where you can be love and that you can serve, um, you know, by just being in that type of uh, vibrational atmosphere when you're with others and you can influence and help them to to ascend their energy as opposed to going on the negative and going in the descent. So how do you go about, uh, let, let's just say I wanted to suddenly do Raja Yoga, do I sit down? Do I look at a candle? How does it work? Do I close my eyes? Do I have someone talking to me? How does it work? So uh, normally what happens is is that, if, first of all, you can find it online and do it if you choose to do it that way, but it's it does not require postures. It, it, you know, it's a matter of sitting comfortably is what you would be told, to sit comfortably. And we learn to meditate with our eyes open. And the reason that we meditate with the eyes open is that we want to be able to reach that meditative state of peace because the whole thing is about bringing yourself to back to your original state of peace. We want to be able to stay in peace while we're going throughout our day. So therefore, we actually have, um, uh, you can use a, a candle or you can use a picture of a point and you focus on that point. And that's your practice that allows you to be able to hold that in your mind throughout the day, you know, and to remain peaceful in all your interactions. Can you can you imagine that, you know, you're sitting in traffic and you really have a meeting, you've got to be there on time. And instead of getting tense and upset, you know, you're able to be able to stay uh, in that space of peace and use that time in a productive way you know, so that when you arrive at your destination, you, you know, you're in a good state, you're able to do the things you need to do in a very good uh, and, and productive way. So it, it sounds to me, um, Rita, without being facetious, <laughs> that you don't have much time for anything else because you're constantly checking in with yourself, being at peace and being balanced. Do you have, how, how do you have time to be a motivational speaker and an author and all these other things that you've done throughout your life? Well, uh, I mean, you, what you're doing is you're actually building it in, but you're living what you're doing. It's a shift in awareness. You know, it's just, just like you have your awareness. Now I have to do this, that, and the other thing, right. To get, to get through my day, you're still going to be doing everything that you do in the day. You're cooking, you're cleaning, you're working, you're all of that has to be done, but it becomes, as a matter of fact, the more you meditate, it's as if the day expands somehow, even though there's a still the same 24 hours. It's amazing what you can get done in a very short period of time. And it's not like you have to do everything all at once. When you come in, you begin, you start the practice, you know, this shift, you, you know, shifting to a, an awareness of soul consciousness, learning to be able to connect with that supreme, supreme source. And you're going to be taking power from that supreme source that that's going to give you more energy to get everything done that you need to get done during the day. I mean, I have my husband, my, my, I have five children and five grandchildren and, um, you know, full house. And I, and I help to coordinate the center here in Boston and, um, I'm one of the, the co-coordinators here. And so, and we do all kinds of programs, as you know, you've, you've, uh, that's how, I think that's how we met actually. It is. It is. We met in Boston uh, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So you just don't feel rushed, you know, you're just doing what you, what you would normally do. And somehow, some way it just happens very naturally that you, you begin to live your meditation practice. So you're learning, but what you're doing is each day you're changing yourself. So it's more natural. It just becomes your personality. 
So growing up uh, as a small girl, Rita, when you lay when you lay abed thinking what you wanted to be when you grew up, did you have any idea that your life would unfold the way it has? <laughs> well, uh, it was really interesting when I was uh, when I was about seventeen or eighteen. I, I actually wanted to join the cloister convent <laughs> because I wanted to, but it was for all wrong reasons. I wanted to get away from the world. You know, one of the things that I always knew is, is that I wanted to serve the world somehow. And so I guess I always, because of my love of God and my search for God, I mean, I was a seeker. I wish I could uh, tell you about some of the stories of spending time with these um uh, uh, these different masters and the different people. I spoke with Mother Teresa at one point. Well, tell us about um, that. Tell us about meeting Mother Teresa. Well, I didn't. It was over the phone. I didn't meet her personally. But uh, we were we, we were creating here at the Brahma Kumaris, we were creating a uh, a women's program because we were trying, again, the empowerment of women is, is something that uh, was very important. Uh, and, you know, I took so much benefit from that myself. And we were doing this program on uh, women in spirit. And I thought it would be great if she would come. So I had asked someone if they could give, who lived in Calcutta that was, uh, came over to, that I met through MIT. And I asked him if he knew how I could get in touch with her. And he said, well, just call this number. So I called the number and uh, sh uh, someone answered the phone. And I asked if I could speak with her. And, and she said, well, she said, she said, well, yes, dear. She said, this is Mother Teresa. And I went, this is Mother Teresa. And I actually choked up, which I don't usually do. I couldn't believe it. And uh, I told her this story and uh, asked her to come. And she said it ended up that she, she wasn't able to do it. But after I hung up, I called her back. And I said to her, I said, Mother Teresa, I said, you know, I said, I don't feel I did my team very well because I said I was so, you know, I don't feel I was able to speak with you clearly. And she said, well, what are you talking about, dear? I said, well, uh, you know, I just don't feel I was able to to state things um, right. I should have said this in a better way. And she said, well, she said, well, why? She said, who do you think you call? He said, she said, who did you call? And I said, well, I called this number that I was given. She said, well, who did you expect to talk to? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I said, well, I thought maybe there would be someone like your, your assistant or your secretary. And she laughed, she laughed on the other end of the phone. And she said, Rita, where do I live? I said, a Calcutta. And she said, Rita, have you ever been to India? I said, yes. I said, about 30 times. And she said, now think about that. I said, oh, right. I said, of course you wouldn't have that. <laughs> she ended up, she wrote the most beautiful, beautiful letter and opening to the um, program that we did. And she told me that the work that we were doing was extremely important. She had been to the Brahma Kumari's uh, main uh, headquarters in Madhaban, I think it was, or she met them at one time, I think when the I can't remember exactly when Mother Teresa came to the Brahma Kumaris, but uh, she said the work that we do is very, very good. And um, she told me to stay in touch with her and to um, to keep her posted on the progress of the work. So who, who has been your inspiration throughout your life? Who, which, which women have you looked up to and thought, I'd like to be like her one day? Yeah, well, there's a, there were two uh, elders who were who were who came into the Brahma Kumaris at a very very young age. One one person's name was Dadi Prakashmani, and Dadi Prakashmani she left she she left the body in two thousand seven. 
but I had I had come into the Brahma Kumaris. It was 1990, uh, and at a UN project, and she happened to be at that UN uh, program that was being that was being uh, held on global cooperation for a better world. And uh, she sat across from me for a number of hours during that program, and I could feel the energy of God coming through her. Is the only way I can say it. The goddess. It was like she was a goddess or something but very simple and very powerful energy. And uh, what happened is, is over the years, I felt that uh, we developed a very special spiritual friendship where she she helped guide me. Every, and I would, as I mentioned, I traveled to India maybe twice a year at that time uh, to go to the Brahma Kumari's headquarters for various uh, programs and projects we were doing. And she, she, to this day, I hold her as one of my my uh, guides in life. And uh, the other one was uh, Dottie Jenke, who uh, just um, uh, left the body recently within the last year or so. And she she lived till she was uh, 104. Uh, and uh, she she was she and, and Dottie uh, Prakashmani were very close together and they had very different personalities. And between the two of them, they really helped guide me because I thought what happened is I thought when I came into this as a person in the world and they were surrendered in an ashram, I thought that I couldn't do this. But in one of the first teachings that I read, uh, the words that were spoken was, this is a time that the impossible becomes possible. You can stay in the world, you can stay in your household, and you can do this. You know, and so they were in the, the, you know, they were living in the ashram and I was in the world and they guided me step by step. They came to my home. They showed me what to do, how to, how to live in the home in a way that I could, could, um, you know, follow the disciplines and do everything that I needed to do. It was just absolutely amazing. And I'm so grateful that they're, you know, that my path crossed with them because without it, I would never be where I am today. I wanted to talk to you because clearly from what you're saying, and I'm hearing very loud and clearly that you have a very deep faith and relationship with God. What about people who are listening who, who don't have a faith? How would you advise them to find peace or tranquility? Well, yeah. So, so, so it's, you know, everyone has a right to peace because peace is innate. Peace is our original state of being. So, so by actually just, uh, you know, getting into a space where you understand yourself, you know, and, and are able to go in and link with that, that spirit, spiritual identity without, you know, you can, you can, there, there's one person I know that doesn't believe in God who's been coming to our programs for years. And they say that they, they believe in goodness. They don't believe in God, but they believe in goodness. And they take so much from the practice of meditation related to helping them remain stable and steady in this challenging world so that they can be a conduit for others, a, a conduit of goodness, and share that and live that with their families. Do you know what I mean? I so, so there's many, there's many, many pathways to peace. Where do you think we are? Uh, Rita, in terms of relationships between men and women and, and women becoming more empowered? 
Oh my gosh. I think, I think if, if there were, if we're not stepping up and in now, you know, then there's never a time that we would do it. The, the fact of, you know, just look around and, and watch how all of the systems are breaking down, you know, and it's, it's the, it's the, the, the Shakti power, you know, it's the feminine power. Not, I'm not talking about, you know, the Shiv, I call it Shiv Shakti power, but the Shakti power that we all have within us that we need to, to come together in communities of women, you know, to, to empower one another to be able to do that because this is what the world is calling for. You know, there's a time for everything in life. There's a time for everything in the world. And until the time is right, you know, it doesn't become visible. But because of the state of the world that we're in right now, with the polarities and the, and the corruption, if there uh, were ever a time that it should be clear to all of us, it's now or never. So what would you say to women specifically who might be listening to our chat who are thinking, well, I've always thought I might do this or I have a dream to do that, but I'll, I'll wait. What, what, would, what advice would you say to them? <laughs> well, I would say, as I'm sure you know what I'm going to say, whatever you do, have an attitude that this is the time that the impossible becomes possible and do it now. Take the courage and, and take a step. Don't feel you've got to figure it all out. Take your next step. And then what will happen is the next step will emerge. You know, you don't have to, th Dottie Jenke used to say to me, whatever you, she said, stop thinking, you think too much. Just listen, just listen to what's going on. And you will be, you, you know, you will be guided into your next step. So trust, you know, trust in yourself. Trust in your colleagues, your others, your friends that are around you. And from that, you'll be able to trust in this changing world, knowing that we're able to, to you know, move forward together in order to create the change that's needed, you know, to, to, to give all of us a chance for that peaceful world. Uh, and lastly, Rita, what you say that we're waiting for a change that's needed. What does that change look like for you, the change that's needed? Well, for me, it was a change. It was a shift in consciousness, you know, and the shift in consciousness that I needed was uh, a shift in consciousness from this limited physical um, worldview, you know, to a view that includes uh, uh, a source, you know, that is untainted, that I can take power from and then, as you know, move my um, awareness to the to the bigger whole of life you know the wholeness in life and from that you know be able to live in a spiritual paradigm while in the physical world and and you know that connection with god for me is 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 the magical key you know and that magical key will give you back your self respect your courage you know to move forward and to be the change you want to see in the world. Rita, no wonder you're a motivational speaker. Uh, thank you so much uh, for talking with me. I'm honored to have been asked to, to join you, so thank you. Rita Cleary, I can definitely say you've been there, done that. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for listening to Been There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. 
and I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?